We are at the midway point of our current sermon series where we are exploring, journeying through the book of Ephesians. It is one of the true pearls of the New Testament, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. I want you to go ahead and find a pew Bible that's in front of you or one that you brought with you. Perhaps um, your device has the Bible on it, as mine does. Uh, Connect with Ephesians chapter 4. That is our lesson today. Uh, Our sermon series is based around a theme that Paul offers in the book of Ephesians that is about unity. Unifying the church amid so much tension and turmoil and chaos. It was important to Paul 2,000 years ago. I think it's quite important for the church to hear this message of reconciling to God and to each other some 2,000 years later. The fourth chapter is one of my favorite uh, passages in all of the Bible. It's what I might call one of my life verses, certainly the first verse from chapter 4. I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said that when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as Each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth, and building itself up in love. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words I speak be seasoned with your love and grace. And may the things, O Lord, that I choose to say bring glory, not shame, to your name this day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts bring you praise. Amen. Amen. Intending to uh, raise some cattle, there was a family from New York City that bought a ranch out west and decided to become ranchers. 
Well, they invited some friends out, and upon arrival at the gate, they noticed something odd. It was the name itself of the ranch. So the friends went to this would-be rancher and said, what in the world is going on with this name? And the rancher said, well, I wanted to name it the Bar J. My wife favored Susie Q. One of our sons wanted the Flying W, and the other one, well, she liked Lazy Y, so we're calling it the Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lazy Y, Western Ranch. Well, then where are all your cattle, said the friends. Well, none of them survived the branding. <laughs> Thank you both. <clears throat> hey, listen. There's no need. There's no need to complicate that which is so simple and straightforward. And Paul's message today is, is quite clear. He's telling the church then, and the Spirit of the living God is telling the church today, you are worthy, and you are called, and you are gifted. So if you don't hear anything else I say over the next few minutes, you hear that. You are worthy, you are called, and you are gifted. This term worthy is a tricky word, it's a tough word, it's a hard word in a world with a value system that is always moving like a sliding scale of objectivity. If you don't believe me, ask children whose friends, teenagers whose friends come in and out of, out of their lives and sometimes in positive ways and sometimes not so positive ways. It's a sliding scale as to who's in and who's out, who's worthy and who's not. And the reasons are multitudinous. And worth, worth is a matter of identity. So many voices attempt to give us our identity, those become labels or brands that we attach to ourselves or that are attached to others. Worth, it's a value system of this world versus God's value system and how God sees people's minds and hearts and souls and their bodies. Today, some of you here, some of you listening, some of you need to hear the word that God values you and you need to start seeing yourself as God sees you. Some of us here need to hear a word that we need to start seeing other people as God sees them, whether they wear a mask or don't wear a mask, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether they're red state, blue state, whether whatever the polarities, the dualisms are, we need, for the sake of unity and the bond of peace according to the Spirit, we need to begin seeing ourselves and one another as God sees us. And He sees us through the lens and through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not worthy on our own, are we? But saved by grace through faith, we know that God loves us. There's something else happening in this message today that's, that's quite lovely to me. I've been thinking about a couple of parables that, that Jesus told and thinking of the lavishness of grace, part of which we celebrated in Mary Alice's baptism, part of which we'll celebrate in just a moment with what we call an open table as part of our theology as United Methodists. Anyone can come forward and receive this sacrament of holy communion. And so it makes me think this idea of God giving us our worth and calling us 
out and gifting us for mission, it makes me think of God's extravagance, his lavishness. Jesus told a parable of a sower. It's told a couple of different ways in the Gospels, but one of the ways that it's told is that there was one block of dirt that was not really fit to receive the seeds and the birds came and gobbled it up, you know that? And then one of them burned up and then one of it had shallow roots and then the really fertile soil, well, it took root and it began to produce fruit. You've heard those parables. It's a way of thinking about our hearts and how we prepare them to receive God's grace. But it says something more about the one doing the sowing. Almost a recklessness with grace to say, I know your heart's not quite where it should be, but I'm gonna send grace anyway. That's a beautiful image of the sower. There's another parable that Jesus tells uh, in Matthew chapter 20, and it bothers me to no end every time I read it. It's one about um, equality of some sort. It's uh, having a business background. It's always driven me nuts. You know the parable. The workers who sign on with the boss at 9 o'clock, those who sign on at noon, those who sign on at 3, those who sign on just before the whistle blows, they all receive what? The same paycheck. How is that fair from one end to the other? It says something about how we read that text, but it should say something about the lavishness of God's grace. God gives grace to all people, no matter when they come on board, when they become aware, when they decide to change their minds and truly repent. Worth and calling and giftedness are ways that God continues to send grace upon grace to the people called the church. The baseline toward unity, in my opinion, the baseline for that, the starting point toward unity for every person to realize that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have access to God and God sees us, God loves us, God values us, and that which God values, God calls and uses. And that which God values and that which God calls and sets apart for a higher purpose, God will send gifts to make a difference in this world. That's a very beautiful thing. There's something else about this text that's been nudging at me this week, and it's the notion that there can be union without unity. I hope that makes sense. Many a marriage live together but are not united. Many a team play together but are not unified. And there's an illustration that says you can take two cats and tie their tails together, throw them over a clothesline, and there technically will be um, a union, but not unity. They're gonna scratch and claw and fight the whole time. As a disclaimer, I have never done that. <laughs> and I believe even cats are sacred in God's sight, for the record. Mark Twain used to say that he put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment just to see if they could get along, and they did. And then he put a bird and a pig and a goat, and with a few adjustments, they got along just fine. But then he put a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic, and soon there wasn't a living thing left. Now, I'm not sure where Samuel Langhorne Clemens throws us Methodists. We were excluded from the list altogether. Paul tells the church to be united. But union with others, does, it doesn't mean unity any more than uniformity means unity. 
Paul says, maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, but he doesn't say that you all have to think alike and have the exact same talents and look the same and so forth. In fact, just the opposite, that maintaining unity in the spirit of the bond of peace means the church, we spend time discerning what our spiritual gifts are. And once we discover those, we take those diverse gifts and we pool them together and together we begin to move the ship forward and to make a difference in the lives of, of other people. And it all happens under a common banner. It's a seven-fold uh, step. If you want a, a plan for your Sunday school class or your small group, then you can take this phrase, unity in the spirit, excuse me, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How does that happen? That's our goal. How does it happen? It happens in seven ways. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God of all who is above all and with all and through all and in all. There's an easy lesson you can teach at home or in your small group. But today's lesson, it also invites us into a larger conversation. If we're thinking that all, according to Christ's work, are worthy and are called and are gifted, Paul lists some specific gifts that some would be teachers and pastors and apostles and prophets, and most everybody hearing that says, okay, those are the paid positions, right? That's the official church thing. That gets me off the hook. Let them do all of the work. Well, that does happen in Ephesians. But if you look at the correspondence that he had with the church in Corinth and the church in Rome, he gives the church a wider angle, a wider scope of some of the gifts that you all possess, such as wisdom and knowledge and discernment and healing and miracle working, the gifts of language and communication, helping, administration, teaching, encouragement, generosity, and the last one I love, church is given the spiritual gift of extending mercy to other people. Listen, if we're going to get through the divisiveness that we see at every turn, the divisiveness and the disunity that we see at every scroll, if we're going to get through all that we've endured over the past several months and all that's facing us with viral mutations, and the way forward is to see one another as God sees one another, to see ourselves as God sees us, to listen for the call, and then to discover these unique sets of gifts, these spiritual gifts, and start using them to help the community heal and take their own steps forward. So through humility and gentleness, patience and caring, we're called to lead. And maybe this is a call today for the church to figure out ways to, to be more wise and more informed and more intuitive, to be open and honest and to be encouraging and to be generous and to be merciful even when other people let us down. Those are some very practical ways we can use our gifts. And then finally in verse 14, Paul says, with all of that said, maintaining unity, living your life worthy, the calling that comes from Jesus Christ and there only being one baptism and there only being one, one hope. In verse 14 he says, so stop being children. 
tossed to and fro by every single idea, every single notion, every single doctrine that comes along or comes in the feed or, or comes through an email or whatever the case might be and maintain unity under the banner of Christ. This is a measure of maturity that the church continues to move forward following Jesus in, in the world. The most uh, dangerous the most dangerous uh, word to the church is the word complacency because the Holy Spirit never ceases to move in one's life. The Holy Spirit continues to inspire and to give us ears and eyes to listen and to hear for the needs and to discover our gifts and ways to use them. Paul does not mean that Christians are to be in their humility and their gentleness and their, uh, their caring spirit, benevolent spirit in, the, in their patience. Paul does not intend for the church to be a bunch of weakling pushovers, just the opposite. It takes tremendous spiritual maturity to exercise the ways of Jesus in the world when all of the world is in opposition of all of those gifts. Too often, pride prevails over humility, abrasiveness over gentleness, quick tempers over patience, and self-gratification over caring for others and putting others first. On any given Sunday, we're likely to celebrate the sacrament of baptism as we just did with, with Mary Alice. And then once a month, at the very minimum, we partake of the sacrament of Holy Communion. These are the two primary means of experiencing God's grace or channels of God's grace. Other traditions have more sacraments. We only have two, baptism and communion. Baptism reminds us of God's work already happening, as I mentioned at the front part of, of our service. The grace is always present. It acknowledges entry into the family of God. It is, it is one's ordination into ministry. There is only one baptism because at that moment, you just saw it, the Spirit of Christ Himself made a promise to Mary Alice that she is worthy of God's love, that she is called, and that she is gifted. And Christ never turns his back on a promise as much as we do. So there's only one baptism that's necessary. It's a promise that Christ will keep. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, however, said, communion should be taken as often as possible. If baptism gets us to the starting line, then communion is the nourishment we need for this journey through life. And so at the close of the service today, several hundred pieces of bread will have been served. And it indicates that though we are many, we are one, bound together by this mysterious grace from God on high. We are one body with a lot of moving parts, elbows included. Communion in this moment has the power, the grace of God and the power of that moment to convince us and to convert us, to convince us of our sin, to convince us that without Christ we, we are, are nothing, to convince us that we need Christ, to convince us that we need to do more with our gifts to make a difference in, in someone else's life, and that if we don't use our very own gifts, then the body suffers, and maybe someone goes unloved or unfed or uncared for. Hmm. In this meal, we are assured that we belong to God, no matter what happens to us in life, no matter what we bring to the table. Like many of you this past week, I paid close attention to the 
United States women's gymnastics team. Initially, all eyes were on one gymnast. Her name is what? Simone Biles. You know Simone. The greatest of all time. She is the GOAT. Imagine the world calling you the GOAT heading into what has to be one of the most challenging Olympic Games in human history. We all watched it unfold. Uh, Biles came running down the mat and she hit the vault intending to do a two and a half twist but only performed a one and a half twist. We then learned a term called the twisties. It's a scary thing. She lost, she lost all direction. She lost all sense of where she was. She didn't know if she was right side up, upside down, and just luckily she landed on her feet. She's so fast and so strong that a few degrees of error could have been disastrous, ended her career, maybe cost her her life, who knows. The simple omission of one twist, it shook her, it shook the team, it shook the arena, it, 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 it rattled everyone watching all over the world. And um, what I'm about to tell you next, if you're DVRing all of this, it's a spoiler alert so you can cover your ears. She went on to withdraw from the competition. All of it. She took a lot of heat from critics who called her a cop-out, weak-minded, overrated, and some critics shamed her on social media and called her unworthy to lead the team. But as you know, Biles does flips for a living, so she flipped the script. She actually showed phenomenal leadership under significant pressure by knowing her limitation. And hear me when I say this, specifically by knowing the limitations of her mental health, okay? And so instead of making excuses or blaming someone else or giving in to all of the, the negativity, she decided I'm going to lead my team in a different way through humility and gentleness and patience and care. She used a different set of gifts. She even has tweeted recently, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I might botch this, but she said, I have discovered at this Olympic Games that my life is so much more than about just gymnastics. Now who revealed that to her? I hope somebody within the body of Christ maybe told her, you're worthy. You showed a lot of guts. Some have said without this act of humility, the team might not have won silver, and who knows if Suni Lee would have gone on to win the all-around and win the hearts of so many of us. My point is, is this, to accept that we are worthy in God's sight because of Jesus Christ, that we are called, that we are gifted, and that we are willing to grow into maturity. And sometimes that's a matter of knowing when to step up, and to lead. And sometimes it's a matter of knowing when to step back and let others lead or to walk alongside those who are making this journey through life. You and I have so many different gifts. 
out of a couple hundred folks gathered here today, there's at least 200 different kinds of gifts, I would think. And looking at all of your faces, I know that you are using them in a vast array of ways. Some of you have the spiritual gift of generosity. Some of you take care of our planters around here. Some of you call everybody on the hospital list every single week. You have the gift of, of caring. Some of you do things I don't even know about. Because I know you, you do it unto the least of those among you because you're doing it unto Jesus. We don't have to do it all, but we also don't get to walk away from the arena when things get hard. We, we as the church, we lift one another up. When we fall, we cheer each other on. When we are down, we know when to stop and step back, and we know when to step up. We know that if we do not use our gifts, then the body suffers. We also always are placing the team and the family and neighbor ahead of ourselves, and that when we ourselves fall, somebody, the person to your right, to your left, in front of you and behind you, is going to be there to help you take your next faithful steps. And ideally, we're going to do the same for another human being. So today... You're going to come forward in just a moment. You're going to present your hands in a posture that is open. It's not clenched. It's not clenched holding on to the past because you're not disqualified from receiving Holy Communion. There's no pre-existing conditions that are going to prevent you from being here except yourself because God's grace is here available for you. So we don't come with clenched fists holding on to the past or trying to cling so tightly to the future that we lose sight of the present. And that is Christ in our very midst, working to change our lives and change our story and gosh, just to listen to somebody and help them throughout life as well. So as you come forward, listen, listen for God's voice in this meal saying, you are worthy, I choose you, you are called, calling you by name and you're gifted to make a difference in someone else's life.